Welcome into episode number 11 of the Woodpeckers Baseball Podcast, the episode spanning the week of July 19 through the 25th. I'm Matt Dean, broadcaster and communications coordinator for the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, the Advanced A Affiliates of the Houston Astros. Recording this on Friday morning, July the 24th, coming down from the high of baseball being back last night and was just excited to see some live sports, see some pro baseball on TV. And uh, man, it was fantastic last night. Yankees, Nationals, and a Scherzer v. Garrett Cole matchup, about as good as you can hope for on a game to kick off the Major League Baseball season here in late July. Of course, Yankees taking that one, uh, and then a good one on the late night contest between the Dodgers and the Giants. Uh, that uh, Los Angeles ran away with late. We've got two great guests for you uh, on episode 11 of the podcast. We're going to talk with Jake Kaplan, uh, who we did just before the Astros opening day roster announcement on Thursday. Jake helps us preview the 2020 season from the perspective of the Houston Astros, covers the team for the athletic. Jake Kaplan, our first guest on episode number 11 of the Woodpeckers baseball podcast. Among some of the topics that we will touch on uh, with Jake Kaplan, uh, we discussed some of the last-minute roster decisions that the Astros will have. Uh, we didn't have that uh, official roster in front of us at the time. Jake did pretty good. He, he predicted 28 of the 30 spots correctly in his article that we reference uh, on The Athletic uh, for the 2020 opening day roster. We discuss, among others, uh, three potentially impact rookies who spent time with the Fayetteville Woodpeckers last season who all made the opening day roster this year. That's Brian Abreu, the Astros' number five preseason prospect. No surprise there, he made seven appearances, including another in the postseason with the Astros last year. Uh, another 23-year-old also from the Dominican Republic, Christian Javier, a chance to make his major league debut. He's on the opening day roster to start the year, the Astros' preseason number six prospect, Astros minor league pitcher of the year from last season who led the minor league system in ERA and strikeouts a year ago, including uh, time with the Fayetteville Woodpeckers in the first half. Anoli Paredes has kind of been the late bloomer here in summer camp. Uh, he's been fantastic these last couple of weeks during inner squads. Wednesday against Kansas City in the final exhibition tune-up, he was popping 97 on the radar gun. Looking really impressive. He could be a key piece in the Astros' bullpen this year. They've got some holes and questions a little bit more than we're used to for Houston the last few years. We talk about Jake Kaplan, about all uh, of those three Woodpeckers alums, who we now know, of course, have cracked the Houston Astros' opening day roster. Houston starts the season tonight uh, late on in the contest. It's, I think, what, eight Eastern time game for the Astros against the Mariners. Uh, they have a four-game set against Seattle. They'll play a week at home to start the season. Eight o'clock Central, nine Eastern time. Uh, the Friday night opener with Justin Verlander on the hill, uh, making his third straight opening day start for the Astros. Another fun storyline to follow that I was thinking about uh, watching the games last night. Gabe Kapler, who manages the San Francisco Giants, by the way, last couple of years spent with the Phillies. 
He was a really good minor league player and spent time in Fayetteville in one of his first two seasons as a pro baseball player. Played for the Fayetteville Generals as a Tigers farmhand in 1996. He had one of the best seasons in Fayetteville professional history. Hit 300, slugged 534 with 26 homers in 138 games for the Fayetteville Generals back when they were a South Atlantic League single-A affiliate of the Tigers back in 1996. Uh, Gabe Kapler managing a very young Giants team. Not expected to make a lot of noise this year, but we'll see how much of a leash he gets over the next few seasons. Uh, other big piece of information that dropped yesterday, uh, at least unexpectedly to me, expanded playoffs uh, were announced on opening day yesterday. Uh, at this moment, recording the podcast, it still would have to be officially uh, ratified by the owners, but the Major League Baseball Players Association passed it. There will be now eight playoff teams in each league, so 16 total, and this wildly changes the complexion of the season, the outlook that teams have in terms of their postseason odds. From an Astros perspective, it's probably a negative thing. There's just more uncertainty thrown into the mix in terms of who will be crowned World Series champions. End of the year, the Astros almost certainly will be a playoff team at this point. Uh, but as one of the favorites, no doubt, in the American League, uh, you got to think more teams into the fold. Three-game series, it would look like it's going to be in the first round. Uh, that's going to throw a little bit more uncertainty into an already kind of toss-up season with a 60-game sprint for the Astros. I Personally, I'm disappointed with the expanded playoffs. I guess for this year, I'm okay with it. It's a weird season. It's a strange season. Uh, but uh, I hope that there's not really expanded playoffs to this degree or, I mean, just personally for me at all, moving down the road. We'll see. At this point, uh, it is only expanded playoffs for 2020. So keep that in mind. We talked with Jake Kaplan of The Athletic. This news had not been released yet, uh, nor had the moves and final decisions for the Astros opening day roster. Our second guest is Jason Bell, fundamentals coordinator for the Houston Astros system. He talks about the development defensively of some of the top prospects in the organization and guys that uh, the fans in Fayetteville had a chance to see last year. Uh, Jason Bell, uh, really intelligent, great communicator, uh, and a talented coaching prospect, no doubt, in the Astros system. That's one you'll want to catch. We discussed Jeremy Pena, Jake Myers is with the Astros player pool right now and a few of our previous guests on the podcast uh, as well as uh, his thoughts and ideas about how uh, the Astros taxi squad camp is going to work as the season gets underway. So before we dive into our two guests, last thing to give you our Woodpeckers Rewind moment of the week. It comes from July the 24th uh, of last season when right-hander Johansi Torres fired seven scoreless innings while punching out eight against Lynchburg in effort that would name the Woodpeckers right-handed pitcher the Carolina League pitcher of the week. Torres right now uh, will be headed to AA Corpus Christi at Whataburger Field and remains as part of the Astros taxi squad to stay ready for a potential major league call-up right now. Our Woodpeckers Rewind Moment of the Year from July the 24th, 2019. Johansi Torres's seven scoreless innings in a Woodpeckers win. So we'll dive into our first guest previewing the Astros season with Jake Kaplan of The Athletic back on the other side here in episode number 11 of the Woodpeckers Baseball Podcast. Thank you. 
My next guest covers the Houston Astros for The Athletic, Jake Kaplan. Uh, happy to be here uh, with you here on the Woodpeckers Baseball Podcast. Uh, Jake, thanks for doing this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I think you're the first that's admitted it at least openly, uh, our first like listener of the podcast as a guest on the show. So I'd be lying if I said that didn't help, uh, but I appreciate the <laughs> listens and I appreciate you coming on here to help us preview the Houston Astros season. It, it's great to to almost have some real baseball to talk about. Yeah, I've, I've been enjoying the podcast. I think my podcast intake in general has definitely increased since since April and, and you so you launched at a good time for me. And, you know, there's so many players to account for in the Astros system or in, or in any system for, for that matter that, you know, these, your episodes and particularly your interviews with some of the minor leaguers, I don't know, have helped me kind of get to know them a little bit more. So it's been a good show so far. Thanks for, uh, I'm glad to, to be included in it. Yeah, it's been fun and, and it's great to be with the Astro system where we're the advanced day affiliates. A lot of the guys that our fans just saw last year are, are going to be some dudes making an impact, you know, this season in this impending 2020 Major League Baseball schedule. Uh, so some of the guys that are like on the fringes, the, the Astros and, and all the teams in Major League Baseball are going to be making some decisions Thursday at 11 a.m. Central to turn in the 30-man rosters uh, that they'll start the year with. Uh, you just came out with an article in The Athletic recently kind of previewing your thoughts on who you think will be some of the guys uh, that'll be making the roster. What, what are kind of some of those last-minute decisions that are going to be made uh, with with the risk of this podcast coming out after we see the actual <laughs> roster? Yeah, and I guess we should say that like this thing's going to be fluid all year, right, because right. of the situation. So there's probably less to make of an opening day roster as ever because it's going to change more than ever. But I always like to do the projecting the opening day rosters and also projecting postseason rosters. And this is easily the most difficult one ever since I've started doing that in 2018. And that's just because there's so many players out. There are so many players who you're not sure if they're going to be ready because the short spring training, you know, and there's expanded rosters. There's four extra spots to account for. So a lot of guys who would have had no shot to be on the 26 man in March and some of whom might have even started in double A, let alone triple A, are going to make the roster. And some of those players who were in high A at points last year would be Anoli Paredes, I think, has a really strong chance. Brian Abreu, I think he was in high A two years ago, right? He'll, he'll definitely be on the roster. You know, I don't think you guys had Brandon Belak, but he, he was started in double A last year. He'll have a strong chance of making it as a non-roster guy. Brandon Bailey has a chance as a non-roster guy. They're, because they're missing guys, they're going to have to add a couple players to the 40-man, I think, which is another thing that wouldn't have happened in March. Yeah, no doubt. Brian Abreu, did start out the season last year in high A even too. So like he did like three starts with Fayetteville, double A, and then jumped to the big leagues at the end of the season. So his his ascent was pretty rapid last year too. Looking at, you know, the team this year, like it's, I've been reading a lot of like outlooks on different teams going into the season. You know, part of your job is like looking at what could go right, but then also kind of examining what could go wrong this year. And just the Astros rotation depth is, is kind of seen as an area where something could potentially go wrong this season, uh, especially if there, a guy goes down or, or injuries an issue. Like I feel like every team I've been reading about, nobody is like feels really good about their fourth and fifth back-end starters. For the Astros, that's kind of an area of uncertainty. 
Uh, Jose Urquidy hasn't reported uh, to camp as of yet, so he's not going to be available to start the season. I mean, you're examining kind of that could be a problem for the Astros this season, uh, maybe bigger than than anything else for a really good team, the, the favorites in the division. Uh, where do you feel like the Astros are in that regard relative to other teams, I guess? Like that's an area where something there could be a trip up, but relative to other teams, how is their situation? I mean, they have the benefit of one of the best one-two duos uh, and a strong number three. But there's definitely questions about the fourth and fifth spot. I think Josh James as the number four could be like a sleeper to be a pretty good number four. But he could also be back in the bullpen in a month. Uh, There's a lot of variance and potential outcomes with him. The expectation as of now, and again, this could be outdated by by Thursday. I have a hard time seeing who else it would be. But Framber Valdez seems like the obvious number five starter. I think he's fine as a number five starter. He's he's got really good stuff, really erratic control. So it's kind of a, a lottery ticket there in a way. But like what teams have number five starters that aren't, you know, facing similar questions to your point? I think the issue is... After that, you know, there's not really an obvious next guy. I mean, maybe Christian Javier, who, who you guys know from, from Fayetteville last year. Maybe Brandon Belak, maybe Jose Arquiti if he's back by then. But, like, there's a lot of uncertainty on the depth after those five. For me, the bigger question is the bullpen. I think their bullpen's a real issue coming into the season. You know, they never really replaced Will Harris, who was quietly their best reliever last year. And I think kind of went underappreciated for – five years, four years, however long it was, where he was just their steady fireman type who would come in in any situation. They're going to miss him. And Joe Smith is on the restricted list, not, not in camp. So he's, he's not there at least to start the season and don't know if they're going to have him yet. And, you know, and, and Osuna, Roberto Osuna, the closer is, you know, it's uncertain if he's going to be ready right away on Friday. So they're relying on a lot of these young guys in the bullpen who have never pitched in the majors before. So I actually think that is the much bigger question than the back of the rotation for me. Yeah, and that bullpen having some opportunities to open up, it's going to have some chances for some of the guys that you mentioned too that spent some time in Fayetteville last season. You had a nice piece about rookies that, that might have a chance to make a big impact this year. All three of them played in Fayetteville last season. It's Abreu, Christian Javier, and Anoli Paredes. Uh, we'll, we'll start with Paredes because... Paredes was was turning some heads yesterday against the Royals on Tuesday. Uh, what's been impressive about him and, and how great of a shot does he have with, with some of the, the open spots in the bullpen you mentioned to, to make the roster? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a realistic chance he could have to pitch important innings right away given their, their depleted state of their bullpen. But he's looked uh, he looked really good on Tuesday with the caveat of it is exhibition, it is against the Royals who are primarily fielding minor leaguers that he's used to like that caliber of minor leaguer that he's used to facing although he did face some big leaguers he, he's got a really good fastball it's really explosive he's got two good breaking balls change-ups a work in progress but if he's in a relief role he can just focus on fastball breaking ball and he can he can work up in the zone with this four-seam fastball he's he's a small guy that's always been the big question with him is the durability he did end the season last year in double a injured he had an injury, I believe, in 2017 that cost him a lot of time. So his focus in the last offseason was to put on more weight so he can be more durable. We'll see if that pays off. But he's definitely really interesting. Uh, he's, he's, he idolizes uh, late, late Royals starter Jordano Ventura, who he said he was thinking about a lot on Tuesday when he was pitching at, at the Kauffman Stadium. 
And he also, he kind of reminds you a little bit of Ventura. I think he's a little smaller and doesn't throw one-on-one, but he's gotten up there to 97, 98, and you can see the similarities in kind of the frame and the high high effort delivery there. Yeah, really cool. He, He was awesome to watch on Tuesday this week. We've heard a lot of superlatives about Brian Abreu, who pitched in three games, started out last season in Fayetteville, ended up in the majors, like we mentioned. Uh, what have you heard about him? Uh, he's pitched in, in some of the, the action against the Royals this week uh, about Abreu. A lot of guys really like him in the org. Yeah, I, I think he's one of their more underrated pitching prospects in general. But I also think he, he you know, coming, coming into camp, I thought he was going to be like potentially like their X factor in the bullpen. But he has not looked great in camp to me. I mean, it's, it's very limited intra-squad and the, the outing against the Royals yesterday or on Tuesday, he looked a little bit better in the second inning, but in the first inning, he couldn't really throw his fastball for strikes. So I'm a little, I don't know, uncertain about what he's going to be early in the season for the Astros. Long-term, I think he's going to be a fixture in their pitching staff. I think probably more as a reliever than a starter, but Brent Strom is adamant that he can be, Abreu can be a starter because of his ability to, to throw his breaking stuff for strikes. So yeah, he's really interesting. Not a guy who's gotten like top 100 prospect list buzz like Forrest Whitley, but, you know, conceivably could be a, a big part of the Astros' future. And I think it remains to be seen how big of a role he'll play in 2020. With just the the bullpen as a whole, there's so many more like open spots and I guess question marks than, than previous years uh, heading into 2020. Like right away, do you see it as just kind of being, we're going to learn a lot about which pitchers the the coaching staff feels the most confident in or are we going to see a little bit of mixing and matching and experimentation early in the year is it going to be kind of an open contest even even next week you think yeah I think both I mean I think you are going to see who Brent Strom and Dusty Baker trusts pretty quickly I think and I think one guy who you'll see a lot of in prominent role a prominent role early is Chris Dubinsky because Brent Strom seems to trust him and has for a long time but like, yeah, like which young guys are you, do you feel comfortable with? Which ones need more work? You know, one thing that I was thinking about the other day is like, you know, in a normal spring training, these guys all go pitch on back-to-back days before, right, before opening day to get used to the back-to-back grind of, of doing that. And we haven't seen that because of the short ramp up here. So are guys going to be available back-to-back days or is it really going to be a complete mix and match? I think that's going to be interesting to watch. And, and yeah, it's going to, everyone's going to have opportunities which will be a new dynamic. And I, I don't know. I'm really curious to see how, how it pans out uh, the, the first week in particular. Yeah, I don't have a ton to, to ask about about the offense because it's just, I mean, the names, the list and the lineup, even without Jordan Alvarez kind of speaks for itself. One of the benefits of the 60-game season, like they didn't start in March and now Justin Verlander is going to be available. One other thing I thought about too, just about an abbreviated season, uh, is – the effect it's going to have on Carlos Correa, who hasn't played in over more than 110 games since 2016. Uh, He's kind of had some back problems the last few years. Do you think like the 60 game schedule benefits Carlos Correa or thoughts about him a lot and just staying healthy and and getting, I guess, not a full season, but the full season out of Carlos Correa being more likely? Yeah, I don't, injuries are so hard to predict. And like, He's played 60 games in a row, even in those seasons where he missed a lot of time. So it's just about, like, you can't predict whether the injury, if he gets hurt, whether that's going to sync up with after 60 games in a row or, or whatever. So, like, 
I don't know. I tend to think of it differently. I think he's got as good a chance as anyone else to play all 60 games because it's just so hard to predict that stuff. And yeah, if he does do that, I think he's an MVP candidate. I think his, he's that good of a all around shortstop. His defense has gotten a lot better the last two or three years while he's missed this time. It's kind of gone under the radar. So he, he's going to rack up wins above replacement just because he's playing shortstop at a high level and hitting for average and power. So yeah, I think he, you know, like, we on our on our own podcast at the athletic the, the Crawford talks one of my bold predictions I'm going to make on Thursday is that he leads the team in war this year I think it sets up well for him in a short sprint and he's still super talented it's just the, the only thing holding him back has been the, the health the last three years this year's going to be interesting too with with how I think Kyle Tucker gets integrated into the team depending on what happens with, with free agency after this year, the, the Astros outfield could look pretty different moving forward. Uh, how do you see them integrating Kyle Tucker into the team this year, mixing and matching a little bit with Reddick? How, how much of an impact could, could we see from uh, him this season? Yeah, I think he'll get more at-bats early because Alvarez is not there. I think it sounds like, at least to start, Dusty Baker was leaning towards sort of a Kyle Tucker, a Lemus Diaz type platoon at the DH spot. And obviously they face more righties than they do lefties. So that would be more Tucker than Diaz. In right field, it sounds like Dusty Baker is more inclined to give Josh Reddick, the veteran, the first crack at the starting job. And I don't know how much you know of a, a, a leash, so to speak, you can have in a 60-game season. So that'll be interesting to see if Reddick struggles, if Tucker struggles, if one's really good, if one's the other's not, like how do they, how does the playing time kind of iron out? But I think Tucker will get some chances. You know, they could also decide to DH Brantley on a day and play Tucker and left and Reddick and right at the same time. So, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly how much he'll play relative to what people think, but I do think he'll get to play a fair amount. And they do need to, to, you know, it's kind of, it's not make or break for him. He's still, what, 23, but like they need to see like what he's going to be at some point and give him that extended playing time. Because as you mentioned, George Springer, Michael Brantley, Josh Reddick are all free agents at the end of the year. And so, you know, Tucker and Straw could be the their most experienced outfielders uh, back coming into 2021. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to have the full season to kind of get a little bit more time to evaluate them. But like you mentioned with the compressed schedule, the, the urgency uh, is kind of a lot higher for, for seeing that shifting gears a little bit with the, just the player pool as a whole uh, overall, we we've seen a lot of teams uh, kind of use the opportunity where a lot of their like recently drafted top prospect types are on the player pool they're maybe not going to see time in the major leagues this year for a lot of those guys. The, the Astros kind of took more of an approach of just a lot of the player pool was filled out by guys that had seen action in, in at least double A and up. We didn't see the first rounder from last year, Corey Lee, uh, report it all to Houston. He's not going to be with the taxi squad. Uh, were there any surprises to you? And just like, did you think more prospects were going to be on the taxi squad or at least recently drafted guys? Yeah, there wasn't a single 2019 or 2020 draftee, right? And I wasn't really expecting a 2020 draftee, but I did think that Corey Lee might be there. Uh, I did think that Hunter Brown, who was their fifth-round pick out of uh, Wayne State, who is already looking like the best prospect in the class, uh, might have been there. But it seems like they, I don't think they picked anyone who hadn't been to at least high A. And so it seemed like they tried to straddle that line between 
development and also like, hey, we might need to use these guys at some point if, you know, things go terribly wrong. So I think that was why they wanted a little bit more experience. That being said, there are still some prospects there, like Luis Garcia is one of their best prospects. He's at the camp and is getting that in co- in-person coaching for the rest of the year. So that'll benefit him. You know, Brett Canine, who is another one over there, who I believe you guys saw in, in Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. So like, it was kind of a mixture, it seemed like to me of like, all right, get some of these prospects, extra development time, but, you know, also pick guys who wouldn't be uh, completely not ready if they need to be called on to, to come up to the majors. Opening day's Friday for, for the Astros, obviously. Everybody's job looks just completely different now than it did a year ago. Take us through like what your Friday is going to look like for opening day and, and watching the game and everything. Yeah, it's going to be weird, especially with the 8, eight ten central time start. I'm not a huge fan of that. You know, through quarantine and this whole period, I've, I've become like an 80-year-old man who goes to bed at like 10. So I'm going to have to adjust the sleep schedule or, or drink a late coffee or something. But yeah, it's, it's strange. You know, I'm not going to the park because of safety precautions. Just I don't feel comfortable doing that at this point. So I'm going to watch on TV like everyone else. And, and then pregame, there will be some, some media Zooms with Dusty Baker, maybe a player. And then post-game, there will be another Zoom with Dusty Baker in the media and the starting pitcher, Justin Verlander, and maybe one or two other players who, who had a role in the game. So, yeah, it's just a strange, strange new normal to get used to, covering, covering the team remotely, you know, and, and through Zoom interviews. But we're just doing the best I can to – best we can to provide, you know, coverage to, to the fans. Because I do think there's going to be, you know, more people watching and reading than, than there – might have been otherwise because they're they're missing baseball so much and the 60 game season just presents so many unique dynamics that was a little bit leading into kind of my last question for you what do you feel like good or bad is going to be the biggest impact that the kind of 60 game format specifically will have on the astros this year on the astros specifically i don't know I think ultimately i think it hurts the deepest teams because your depth shows over 162 but I still think those teams are the best teams, like the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Astros. I think, I think it makes the division race more competitive. Like, we haven't had an AL West decided by fewer than six games since 2016. I think that's going to end this year. I think it's going to be an actual division, division race between maybe not only two, but as many as four teams. Like, I think the Rangers' rotation might play really well in the short season. I think the Angels' offense uh, will play well if they stay healthy. So you add that to the A's, and that's like a legit four-team duel right there. But it's hard to predict. I mean, it, it so much depends on who's available to play, who's healthy, how long guys who are out need to get back and, and, and ready. And once they do come back, what do they look like? There's just so much uncertainty. And one, you know, one little uh, move, you know, one play, one pitch, can make such a big difference this year relative to other years. You know, I, I think the, the the division alignment isn't great for the Astros, having like all of their games in California, uh, basically, or Phoenix or Colorado or Washington State. Like that, you know, this, I think there, it will probably be stressful to be on the road this year uh, for baseball players, like it is for everyone, for, for everyone else. And so for the Rangers and Astros having to play a lot of their games on the West Coast is probably not great. 
but yeah, I, I'm like everyone else. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to play out. I, I don't just in my head right now going through all the different new things. I don't like the extra inning rule, but I get it because you're trying to limit the time at the park. Uh, but how's that going to play from a strategy standpoint? There's just so much new stuff to, to kind of dig into and figure out. Um, and I think, you know, even the teams are figuring it out as they go as well. I'm glad you brought up the extra innings rule because I just want it to be on record that it's awful. <laughs> like I've been doing games like it just for three years now. It's it's just absolutely awful. It doesn't help that the, the team that I worked for last year had a, just an awful time in extra innings last season, but I really don't like it. What's like the go-to strategy that you saw most? It's, well... I guess from like from your perspective or just from people that cover the game, like it is fun because it's it is pretty wild on like how many different approaches you have to it. I mean, definitely when you're the home team, it's a big advantage because you can just kind of see how the other team botches it in the top of the inning and then you know exactly what to do. But the way the teams have played it on the road is in the minors at least has been really, really different. I not as much bunting as I thought, but it usually just kind of comes down to a to a bunting execution contest. Yeah, all the Astros fans who who complained that the Astros never bunted under AJ Hinch, maybe they're in for a bunt, bunting revival with not only like an old older school manager and Dusty Baker, but you know, also the the new rules and extra innings. Yeah, a lot of stuff to watch this season. It'll be really interesting. Uh, again, I want to thank our guest uh, on the Woodpeckers Baseball Podcast, uh, Jake Kaplan, who covers the Astros for The Athletic. You can find his work on The Athletic. Uh, his podcast is The Crawford Talks. Good way to keep up uh, with the week-to-week what's going on with the Astros. Jake, thanks again for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, I'm excited to welcome my next guest. He is in his second season as the fundamentals coordinator for the Houston Astros organization, his fourth uh, with Houston. He managed short season Tri-City to a New York Penn League title in 2018, uh, got his stint in pro ball started as a development coach with single-A quad cities the year prior to that. Uh, had some experience coaching in the collegiate ranks, also with Baseball Info Solutions. Jason Bell, the fundamentals coordinator for the Houston Astros, my guest on the Woodpeckers Baseball Podcast. Jason, thanks for being here. I know you're excited to be busy, have a little bit of a hectic schedule right now. It's a good feeling to have probably, I would imagine, right now. I would appreciate you carving out some time to be here with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Matt. Looking forward to it. Uh, so just to get us started, uh, tell uh, us a little bit about how you were kind of in the off season and it got stretched out a little bit into the start of what would have been the minor league season, how you were staying in touch with players, uh, keeping tabs on them as much as possible, uh, and just how excited you are to now transition to face-to-face conversations, face-to-face instruction that, that you're obviously used to. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was kind of crazy. We were just getting ready to start minor league camp. We were, you know, spending a lot of time in February and March doing major league camp. And then, you know, everything kind of got shut down and everybody's in limbo because we don't know if it's for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a year. We don't really know. So we, we kind of created a communication system with all the coaches and players. So each each coach is responsible for, uh, you know, a, a group of players and then they're they're posting videos and, you know, content and checking in with all the guys. And it's like up to up to me as well to, to check in with some of the players and then also with the coaches just to kind of see how everybody's doing, you know, baseball wise. But not only that, you know, how everybody's doing mentally, because obviously this is, you know, a tough time for the country but you know it's, it's also a tough time in the, the rest of the world and you know within the, the players and their families as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Good perspective to have. And I've heard a lot of similar things from guys talking about play other players, staff checking with them. You know, first priority has always been, you know, how are you doing? What do you need? And then the baseball stuff. So that's been really encouraging, at least to, to hear about that. So now you're getting settled in, uh, mostly working uh, with the University of Houston right now, where the Astros have uh, kind of one of their two locations they're using heading into the upcoming major league season how have the accommodations been at uh and what's kind of been the focus this first week plus as you've gotten camp started yeah so their facilities are, are actually pretty incredible they had just redid the the baseball like indoor complex i believe a year ago or so so it's been uh, really nice their their field is beautiful it has turf um the, the probably the most challenging aspect is that it is turf just because of how hot it is in houston right now um, and it just kind of depends. We either practice in the mornings or the afternoon. And, and kind of what happens is if the, the MLB, is gonna, MLB team is going to have an intra squad, uh, we kind of work around their schedule so that our players are, are doing their work at University of Houston and then can, can transition over to Minute Maid to do their, um, you know, participate in the, the intra squad, which has been a really cool experience for the players because, you know, they get to see, you know, what it's like to play on the field and, you know, more than anything for, for outfielders and such, just, you know, when they can have the roof closed, getting fly balls with a, with a roof is, you know, doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's just a, a lot different than they're used to. And, and not many, not many players have really ever played in a dome or retractable roof or, or anything like that. So it's been a really good experience, you know, at University of Houston and also for the guys that are able to come over and, and participate in the, the intro squad. Yeah, really cool. We, we've seen quite a few uh, of some guys that passed through Fayetteville last season get some opportunities in, in some of those inter-squad games uh, that uh, you were mentioning at Minute Maid Park. You know, just for you working in player development, we'll, we'll get into a few of the guys that we kind of had tab to talk about. But just in general, how exciting is that to see those guys get those opportunities? It, it's it's an inter-squad game. It's in an empty stadium, but you mentioned getting that experience in the Dome. Uh, how fun is this time for you to see guys really start to see some results and then kind of see that reward of getting a little taste of, of being around the big league guys and, and playing at Minute Maid Park. Yeah, you know, I really enjoy it. I think one of the reasons I got into coaching was, you know, I want to help players achieve their dreams. And, you know, coming from, you know, a month ago where we can't even be on a baseball field to now watching guys, you know, compete against some of the best players in the world in, in our major league stadium, you know, gets them a little bit of a, a taste of, you know, what it might be like if they get an opportunity this year. And so it's been cool to, to follow and, and for me to watch. And, you know, it's it's awesome to, to see because you, you just never know. Anything can happen. Anybody can, can have a chance this year. And, you know, a lot of these guys have, have done such incredible work during this time, you know, where it's incredibly difficult to, to stay ready. But, um, you know, they, they've shown well so far. And hopefully, you know, we can keep, keep building and keep improving so that, you know, if they do get that opportunity, they're, they're ready to contribute to a championship caliber team. Among the guys that played for the Woodpeckers last season that are with you in Houston right now, Colton Shaver was in the lineup as the DH this week in one of the inner squad games. I've had him on as a guest uh, on this podcast a couple weeks back. Uh, we talked to him about just his season last year and uh, the opportunities that, that he's worked hard to get to. Obviously, with his bat, he hit for a ton of power last year. Uh, started catching again, which was interesting because it was basically his position since high school. He didn't really get a lot of chance to do it at BYU. So he's getting back into catching last year while still getting tons of reps at both the corner infield spots from your role, you know, as a fundamentals coordinator. How difficult is that to juggle 
especially considering you know all the strides he took forward with his offensive game too uh, and working at those basically three different positions all throughout the year yeah you know it was it was actually interesting I think it was last spring training I, I remember my conversation with him when I was first kind of trying to to see if he was you know maybe interested in catching because you know obviously he, he's got a ton of power he, he's shown that his entire minor league career and you know, if you can have an offensive catcher, there's just not a whole lot of those, you know, in the game of baseball. And I thought it would be a really good opportunity for, for him and his career, but also for our organization. And so um, we kind of started trying it out. And to be honest, he picked it up fairly quickly, like you said, because he has a little bit of a catching background already. And, you know, anybody who knows him knows his work ethic and how dedicated and how much he, much he really wants it. So you just knew that he was going to take it and run with it and, and do everything he could. And you know, I thought his opportunities in the Arizona Fall League were just a great time for him to continue developing that and, and catch some of the best pitchers in, in all of minor league baseball. And, you know, I thought he did a great job handling that from, from my visits down there. And, you know, I thought he, he really kind of took off. And, you know, if he can play the corner infield position, you know, catcher, you know, and DH, you're talking about four of the nine slots that you can hit in. And, you know, you're a hitter that, that just gives you more of an opportunity to play you know no, no matter what the the shape of the team looks like really cool uh outfielder jake myers is is one of the 10 outfielders on the on the player pool list uh, that came out he's he's with you in camp uh in houston what's kind of been his approach uh and, and attitude that he's had coming in uh with the opportunity to play this year i mean you just mentioned weeks ago it was just uncertain on whether baseball was going to uh, get played so for Jake Myers specifically but but just for the mentality in general like how is he using this opportunity to, to get on the field and and make some time with it you know he, he's a guy that takes every single thing really serious and has a ton of you know just effort behind anything and it could be you know even reads and batting practice every single pitch um, and, and I think what that's done for him is it's just helped elevate his game in, in every area of it and he's one of the the elite defenders in, in minor league baseball as far as uh, outfield defense and I really think that that was a really really deciding factor to, to help him get you know selected for that and you know it's 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 easy to look at outfielders and just look at their offensive numbers mainly because we don't have a lot of numbers to really look at about their you know, defensive ability. But, you know, I think what separates him a lot from compared to other outfielders is just his ability to be focused as often as possible. And it, it seems like, okay, well, you, you know, you're, you're out there for 150 pitches. How could you not be focused? But when you really think about the outfield position, <clears throat> you may play, you know, for three hours that day and maybe not even get a ball or maybe get three, or then all of a sudden you get three in a row. And, you know, if, if you just watch him in a game and you don't even watch the ball, you you can really tell that he's anticipating the ball to come to him every single time. And he's on on time with his, his pre-pitch routine every time. And, you know, I think that a lot of those things uh, make a huge difference for him defensively. And I think that that's, that's what he's, he's showing so far in, in, in our player pool. Just in general, I mean, th there's these select group of guys who are getting this opportunity to, to see a little bit. Uh, of extra spring training, a little bit of game action for some of them. For the guys across your organization that 
aren't going to have the opportunity to get some valuable reps this season. Uh, the guys that aren't in camp or maybe that will be here for part of it uh, but not necessarily get into a ton of games, uh, what kind of gains or overall improvements can be made? Like You, you can kind of just really go all in on a big big offseason project uh, even though they're losing some valuable game reps. What, what kind of stuff and, and changes could we see from guys next year? So it, it kind of depends on each guy's situation. So what we originally did was, you know, when we first reached out to guys, you know, we we're trying to figure out what their elements are. You know, so some guys, you know, don't really have anybody to play catch with or anyone to throw with. Some guys have access to facilities or even, you know, live, live at bats. And so basically what we've done from there is just kind of created a plan individually for each guy based on the elements they're working with. And, uh, you know, different parts of the country have been shut down at, at different times. And so it's, it's kind of changed things. And, you know, also in the Dominican, they were shut down really strictly for, for a really long time. So it was really challenging. And, you know, like for, for some of the infielders, what I did, um, I actually created a like drill routine of what they could do using racquetballs inside of a house, you know, throwing it against the wall, you know, working on, you know, double play exchanges and, you know, kicking through the short hop and, and those types of things. And, and sent it to the guys that, you know, weren't weren't able to get outside just to see if we could get some some quality reps. And, you know, what those guys are doing is, you know, videoing themselves and sending it back to us. And, and we're trying to be the best we can with, with the elements. Um, so it kind of depends on each guy. And, you know, each of the guys already know the goals of, of what they're trying to work on um, from the meetings that we've already had. So, so now it's just about connecting their elements that they have with the goals that they're trying to improve on to, to be a major really cool one of the guys i had tabbed to to ask you about with his glove last year super impressive uh jeremy pena was with the woodpeckers for the second half he was already you know one of the a great defender coming out of college he was he was considered one of the best shortstops defensively uh in that draft class uh, we talked to him a lot about you know the strides that he took with the bat i, I wasn't with the team last year so i'm basically just looking at the numbers what about uh, him improved in the field as well, too? He's had to work on his versatility. Uh, the Astros and, and a lot of guys across pro baseball are, are playing so many different positions. What stood out about the steps he took forward with the glove last year? You know, I think for him is he's he's so hungry for the ball in every pitch that sometimes he he speeds up on himself a little bit. And and last year, you know, he, he was really incredible defender all, all throughout the season. And and, uh, you know, I think a lot of it was just being in control of himself, uh, you know, more often and, and more consistently because he has elite level range. He has elite hands like he he can really play the position. And so it's just, you know, iron out some some little details with him. And, you know, one of the things we've been working on with him is like kind of the medium hit grounder that's kind of in the hole. And it's, you know, is it an on the run play? Is it a backhand? And that's kind of like one of the trickier ones, you know, for him. And it's a trickier read but he's a guy that's more of an on the run type of shortstop that's, that's kind of his style which which is good everyone kind of has their their own unique style but it's, a, it's about just you know ironing through through some of those smaller details just to see if we have um, you know more of a, a bigger impact across the board and you know he's a guy that can get to a lot more baseballs than, than most people so that type of play is going to be a little bit more unique for for a guy like him than it than it would for for others as the major league season gets started, 
Uh, you guys are going to transition on the minor league side to Corpus Christi, the double A ballpark at uh, Whataburger Field, uh, where the taxi squad is going to work out. It's kind of the the challenge, I guess, of your role a lot of times is balancing player development, improving guys, but also keeping them ready for when a potential call comes. It's kind of an extreme case of that uh, with the compressed season uh, and with the expanded rosters. But uh, what kind of routine uh, are you guys going to kind of set for the players that are on the taxi squad, uh, working on getting them better, but also keeping them ready for an impending call uh, to the majors uh, if needed? Yeah, you know, I honestly think it's going to be an extremely challenging time, mainly because they're not going to be playing, you know, very regularly scheduled games and, and such. And, you know, we're, we're probably not going to have enough position players to have two teams. So then it, then it kind of comes to us to be as creative as possible, where, you know, we're getting them realistic game reps, but also, you know, we're not wearing them down when we don't need to. And, you know, so so one thing that I'm going to do is we're, we're probably going to do most of our intra-squads at night at 7 p.m. games just to get them on the, the schedule that they're used to, but also the schedule that they would have at the big league level, you know, it's, as far as their sleep cycle and, you know, just the, the normal routine of the day and, and also to avoid the, the corpus heat as much as possible. You know, I think that, you know, once we once we get going with it, it's, it's going to be tough because it's going to be really redundant. It's going to feel a little bit like a extended spring training. But, you know, for for upper level players that, that maybe aren't as used to something like that. And so it's, it's up to us as the coaches to provide the right opportunities in the right environments to help them get through that time to, to like you said, not only get better, uh, but also stay ready. And so I think we'll most likely do is have just different templates for different types of days. So that way, all the days aren't the exact same. So we'll, we'll probably have, you know, live VPs or, or interest squads, maybe four or five times a week, and do, do some other fun stuff on, on the other days or, or, you know, throw in more off days when needed and just try to try to break up their redundancy as, as much as possible. Last thing I got for you when, when I was looking into your background a little bit, uh, I had read that you, uh, when you got your master's at uh, Central Missouri, you wrote about the Houston Astros, like for your master's thesis, about their strategy of sacrificing the results at the major league level for kind of a the bigger picture, longer term. What drew you to that topic? Because obviously you weren't working for the Astros then. It's kind of cool how it eventually led to, to your career path. Uh, but what intrigued you about that topic? And how, you know, do you think about how kind of funny it is that that panned out, that that uh, was where you ended up finally in your career? Yeah. So, you know, uh, to complete my master's degree, I had to do an, an internship and I, I obviously wanted to work in baseball. I didn't know if I wanted to be a coach at the time or front office or, or whatever it might be. So I actually got an internship with Baseball Info Solutions, which is now called Sports Info Solutions. And so to sum up my my time there, um, I had to write a, you know, a paper about it and, you know, all the things we were doing, you know, tracking and charting numbers and, and digging through some of those, those things, you know, I kept seeing that the Astros were, you know, leading the league and, you know, runs saved and shifts and all these things. And, you know, people don't want to pay attention to that when they're not, you know, winning a lot of games, but, you know, when you're kind of digging through all those numbers, you're kind of like, oh, that's, that's a little interesting. And then you start to dig more and you start to see what they're doing in player development and the type of staff that they have and, and how good they are, they are at drafting and signing players internationally. You, you start to piece it all together. And, you know, that was back in 2013, 2014. And, you know, that's when I really started to, to try to follow the Ashes as best as possible because, you know, I felt like they were on a trend that, that not many other people were on. So, 
that's how I kind of wrote my master's master's paper and then kind of just always stuck with it and tried to, to follow them the best I could. And you know, I sent that paper to them a bunch of times and, until they, they finally, uh, you know, allowed me an opportunity to interview. And uh, here we are. So very fortunate and, and lucky to, to be in the position I am now. And it was, you know, it's been a, a dream come true, you know, going back to when I, when I wrote that paper. Awesome. Again, our guest on the Woodpeckers Baseball Podcast, we want to thank Jason Bell, Fundamentals Coordinator for the Astros. Uh, Jason, stay safe, stay well, uh, and excited to see uh, some of the Fayetteville guys get a shot in the show this year. So appreciate you being here. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. Thanks again to both of our guests, both Jake Kaplan covering the Astros for The Athletic and Jason Bell, Fundamentals Coordinator for the Houston Astros System. Quick check-in that we'll just briefly touch on this week, our update on the virtual Woodpeckers season that we've been simulating in Out of the Park Baseball 21. Another ho-hum week for the Astros Advanced Day affiliates uh, on our computer simulation. Woodpeckers 3-4 and four in the past week. They're now 51-48 and 48 on the season and even 514-14 and 14 in the second half of the season. They currently sit six and a half games back of 20 and 9 Wilmington. In our simulated season, it's incredible that Christian Javier is still being held down in the Carolina League. He leads the league in strikeouts and ERA, a dominant pitching staff. Fayetteville looking for a little bit more consistency out of their offense at this point, but still in the mix early in the second half. Really encourage you to, uh, again, share the podcast, pass it along to your friends that are Woodpeckers fans, Astros fans, guys that just want to keep in touch uh, with minor league players, coaches, and prospects uh, throughout the system, uh, as well as folks in the Fayetteville community. We've got a great guest coming up for you next week. I have knocked out the interview with Astros third-round pick Jordan Brewer. Uh, He is one of the most positive just you can't help but smile when you talk to this guy Jordan Brewer uh, a rising prospect tremendous athlete still relatively new to baseball I had a really fun time chatting with him uh, for next week's episode the former Michigan Wolverine who burst onto the scene during that college world series run uh, with a Big Ten Player of the Year last season. So we're previewing a few of our potential future woodpeckers that you could see uh, at Segra Stadium the next couple of years out when minor league baseball returns. Jordan Brewer, a guy you, if you haven't already, you'll definitely be rooting for if you listen to next week's episode number 12 with Jordan Brewer. He was fantastic. So looking forward to that one and rolling it for you, sharing it with you next week. Please give us a rating if you have time. It just takes a few minutes. That is the biggest thing that kind of pushes up uh, us to the top of the list, gets people to notice the podcast when they're perusing Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Give us a, write, uh, a rating, share the podcast, like and subscribe if you haven't already. We appreciate your support uh, here on the Woodpeckers Baseball Podcast as we try to stay in touch, keep you informed and entertained uh, in the absence of minor league baseball this season so again next week's episode featuring astros third round pick outfielder jordan brewer we'll be back until then this is matt dean broadcaster for the fayetteville woodpeckers signing out here for episode number 11 of the woodpeckers baseball podcast